welcome to Grace Family Church. We are so glad you decided to check out our podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching from Pastor Tommy will encourage your faith and lead you towards the greatness God has planned for you. Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoy this message. I just pray, Lord, that with the words that you've given me to speak tonight, that it wouldn't be my words, but it would be only your words. And I pray that the word would be taught tonight efficiently and that you would speak to people's hearts and give them knowledge that perhaps they haven't heard or seen before. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. How is everybody? Good. Good. Tired of chocolate. Tired of chocolate. <laughs> well, the good news is, is that we can never get tired of Jesus, right? Amen. So, um, yeah, so we're doing a sermon tonight. I'm titled, I've titled it The Kingdom in You. Um, and to give you a little backstory, uh, about six months ago I was praying and the Lord gave me some knowledge in the Word of God that I have never really caught on to before. And it was really all prefaced all in the book of Matthew. And just before we get into this, you'll find tonight that a lot of our scripture uh, is in, found in the book of Matthew. And when you study the Gospels, you'll find that Matthew seems to have a very unique perspective or a unique theme that is and that is that Jesus the entirety of the gospel in Matthew is trying to push forth this message of the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God is and what it looks like to carry the kingdom of God and so what we're going to be talking about tonight is the kingdom in you and the purpose of the kingdom the two purposes that we're called to do according to God with respect to the kingdom in us that is to seek the kingdom and to carry the kingdom now, I'm going to talk about carrying the kingdom first, and then we'll close out with keep it, seeking the kingdom. Um, but if you'll open your Bibles with me, if you have them, we'll start with our opening text tonight. This is 1 Corinthians 3, 16, and 17. Um, so this is what it says, and then I'm going to, this will get the ball rolling for us. Uh, it says, Do you not know that you are a sanctuary or as the Greek puts it, the inner temple, inner part of the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defiles the sanctuary of God, God will destroy him, for the sanctuary of God is holy, and that is what you are. Uh, I want to make it very clear and remind ourselves that we are, in fact, living temples of the holy God, and as a follower of him, the Lord lives inside of you. You are literally a temple that he is dwelling. If we're not aware, let me remind you, in the Old Testament, the Lord inhabited temples, and once a year, only one person could go in and atone for the sins of all of the people of the community. Typically, it was a priest. And what's interesting is that temple was stationary, but nowadays that the veil was torn and we can accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're now mobile temples. And it becomes prevalent that these temples can move, and so when I see that, something that stands out to me and I, I would pray that it would maybe stand out to you, is that with a temple that's, sta- that's no longer stationary, we're called as the temple to go seek people instead of the people coming to seek the temple. And so I just want to remind us that we are very clearly called in the word of God by Jesus himself to carry this kingdom. So too often we forget that, that as believers we have become literal dwelling places of the spirit of God. We are no longer our own. As followers of Christ, God has a corporate purpose for us all. And I want to take a dive into the book of Matthew tonight. 
tonight to talk about one of these purposes found plainly from the mouth of Jesus in Matthew. What you find is that the Gospel of Matthew, as I've stated, let me reiterate, when studies studied, seems to have a unique theme of Christ expressing continually about the kingdom of God and its purpose and attributes. This is Matthew 10, 7 through 8. This is Jesus preaching to his disciples. Now, before we go into this, I want to ask everybody here, we're all disciples, right? If you're a follower of Christ, you're a disciple. So can we all agree that this is, this is word for you because you're a disciple of God? And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Freely you have received, now freely give. Jesus' first commandment in this verse was not to say the kingdom of God is at hand. It was actually a verb. It was to go. And this is where we get into the point that we're, now not, we're no longer stationary temples. We're mobile temples that are called to go. And just to clear off some gray areas, one may say, was not this calling only for the 12 and later the appointed 72? No, this can't be so, because if you go to the Gospel of Luke, verses 9, 49 through 50, you see John the, uh, John the disciple says to Jesus, and John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to hinder him because he does not follow along with us. But Jesus said to him, do not hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. Something I want to make clear is that based on this verse and the previous verse that we shared, Matthew 10, it's clear that all who are for the Lord, that is, all who humble themselves before Christ and choose to be his disciples, that's us, confessing him to be Lord and believing in his holy resurrection by the Father, are equally called to these purposes as the Spirit of God wills. We are called to carry the kingdom of heaven with us wherever we go. It is our duty by the power of God in us to bring the kingdom to those around us. We see it clearly from Jesus that it is undoubtedly the will of God even for the kingdom of heaven to be carried on earth when he simply exclaimed in his prayer when the disciples said to him, teach us how to pray at the beginning of Matthew. Jesus says in Matthew 6 verses 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Exclaiming that the will of the Father was for the kingdom to come just as it is in heaven. So what we're going to go into now is, as I've promised, is we're going to dive into the book of Matthew and then the other verses that would support what I'm trying to show you in the word tonight, what it looks like to carry the kingdom of heaven, and then we're going to talk about seeking the kingdom of heaven. And what you find when you read the book of Matthew is that there are five big attributes of the kingdom of God that are prevalent throughout the entire gospel. Now, you could go through and find many different subcategories in these five, and you can either classify those subcategories under one or several or two or all of them. But I want to go through the five big ones that I see and that the Lord points out to me, and the hope would be that we would learn something together tonight. So this is number one. This is the first attribute of the kingdom of God, what it looks like to carry the kingdom of God. Number one, the kingdom of God simultaneously reigns in abundance of righteousness, peace, and joy through the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Something I want to point out really quickly that really dawned on me one day while I read this verse is that we see three attributes brought up about the kingdom of God in this verse. That is righteousness and peace and joy. And the kingdom of God and its attributes, if you'll notice, just like the Trinity of God, 
They're not triplex, which means one plus one plus one would equal one. Anyone who knows simple math would tell you that can't be possible, but it's triune. One times one times one equals one. What I'm trying to say is that one cannot have the kingdom of God and its manifestation without having all three fruits. That is righteousness and peace and joy, much like one cannot have the Son without the Father or the Holy Spirit without the Son. Until we understand these three fruits of God's kingdom, righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, we can't manifest the kingdom of others, at least to the level like God desires. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell everybody that we haven't manifested the kingdom of God. What I'm saying is that the level that God wants us to achieve is we are to pursue the model of Christ. Christ was our model, and therefore we should run after it and seek it. We as followers of Christ, then, we must flow with the Spirit by allowing him to overflow us with righteousness and peace and joy. Uh, you know, really briefly, if you'll turn with me to Philippians 4.4, 4, I want to talk about briefly about joy and peace. We're going to go back to righteousness later in the sermon. But I want to, I want to just briefly teach you on Philippians 4.4 4, about joy and Philippians 4.6 or 7 on peace. And then we'll jump to Colossians really quick for an, a little, another thing on peace. But if you go to Philippians 4.4... 4, and let me flip there because it's important that I read this. Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And, you know, many times you see things in the Bible and you find that they will challenge you. As a matter of fact, I think that almost everything I ever read in the Bible challenges me. <laughs> and I hope it would for you guys as well. It's a manual for life that God called us to live by. It should convict us and challenge us. Um, but when you see rejoice in the Lord always, again, I will say rejoice. That's a commandment and something I want to reiterate. Surely we've all thought about this at one point. But the letters, that is the epistles, Philippians that I'm in and Colossians and all the other ones. Although many of those were Paul writing it, it was actually this Holy Spirit inspiring Paul to speak those things. So really what you're reading here is the very word of God. And we know that to be true because 1 Timothy says that the word of God is God-breathed. So... There's no excuse here. This is not just a man's opinion. This is the one that you've submitted your life to, telling you and commanding you to rejoice in him always. And again, I will say rejoice. That means whenever trifle and tribulation comes and whenever sorrow and shame or bad things may approach, we are called to always remain joyful. And, we're, and it says rejoice in the Lord. In other words, not to rejoice in circumstances, but to stay consistently joyful in the Lord. So that's joy. And I want to go to verses 6 through 7 later down. It then says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We're commanded to then be anxious for nothing, which is also a tall task. But we're called to do it. But we're called instead to go to God about it. And if you're just real quick, I'll just tell you, Colossians 3.15, it says to let the peace of God rule in your heart. And something I want to make clear is that that word rule in the original Greek actually really means more something along the lines of to govern. And when you think about a government and what a government does for its society, it makes all the decisions, it writes all the laws, it judges laws, it enforces laws. What Paul is telling us, or really what the Holy Spirit is telling us uh, through Paul, is that we should let the peace of God be our government in every decision of our life. We should trust God in every decision and let the peace that he brings to us make our decisions. 
And so that's what it looks like to reign in abundance of righteousness, peace, and joy. And I know we haven't quite covered righteousness yet, but we will get there. All right, so that's the first point. Number two, the second point that you see in Matthew is that the kingdom of God reigns in power with the accompaniment of miracles. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Uh, When you read this in the original Greek, you find that that word word means the Greek word logos, which is just basically means logic, um, reasoning, maybe a wise way of speech. But that word power in the original Greek is the Greek word dunamis, and it literally means miraculous power. Therefore, this kingdom that Jesus so richly talked about is prevalent, not in ordinary power, but in miraculous power. And just really quick to just reiterate this, according to the dictionary, miraculous has the very direct definition of a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. So let that sink in for a minute. The very dictionaries that we use to use vocabulary in today's world acknowledges divine agencies. It acknowledges God, per se. It acknowledges the miraculous. Again, in Thessalonians, we see Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, offer the same classification through his own ministry in 1 Thessalonians 1 through 5, where he says, For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit with full assurance. And so you may ask yourself, why, why does the kingdom need to be prevalent in miracles? Why does it need to be prevalent in this so-called Greek word dunamis? I believe it is found in John 4, 48, where Jesus says, unless I do miracles you, and signs and wonders, you'll never believe me. In other words, God knew that in order for his people or his creation to submit to him, they would have to see signs and wonders unlike the natural to be able to make the connection that there is a God that is above the natural. And with that, I'll just go on a quick tangent here. Uh, You find in the Gospels that upon reading it and in the epistles, number one in Romans 2.15 or 2.11, it says that God is not partial for anything. In other words, he doesn't have any favorites and he doesn't specialize one person over the other. All people are equally called to God and are equally invited to partake with God if they'll do what the word of God says, and that is to accept him. You find, for example, in the Gospels where Jesus once heals a leper, and the leper comes to him and says, if you are willing, you will cleanse me. And Jesus responds with, I am willing, be cleansed. And if you take the knowledge of Romans 2.11 where it says he is not partial to any, and you take the knowledge that Jesus said to this one leper, I am willing to clean you. Well, then that means by definition, according to the scriptures, he must be willing to heal all who will come to submission and humility. So I just want to throw that out there, that there's no excuse on God's behalf. It's on us to go forth through God and trust him to move forth in miracles. That's number two. Number three, the kingdom of God accompanies childlike faith and humility. Matthew 18, three through four uh, they question Jesus about a quality of the kingdom of heaven. And it goes like this. It says, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself, that is Jesus, and set him before them and said, truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever therefore will humble himself as this child 
He is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Again in Matthew 5, 3, where Jesus is preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if we're not aware, God is not talking about poverty here. God does not condone poverty. That is a curse of the law. He is talking about the poor in spirit. He's talking about those who are humble and are submitting themselves to the Lord. I want to remind you guys what we see here in Matthew 18 and Matthew 5 to listen to what the Lord is saying. The one who humbles themselves before God and trusts in the Lord all the days of their life shall walk with the kingdom in abundance. The child clings to their parents regardless of the circumstance. The child is not concerned with what they will eat or what they will wear or what tomorrow holds. The child simply clings to their parents and loves and trusts them knowing that they will provide for them. The child will even go as far to believe everything that their parents says, regardless of how outlandish it may sound. We must always have this same kind of faith in the Lord. And real quick, I'm reminded of a uh, minister that, that has been used miraculously um, in his ministry to heal people and raise people from the dead. Um, I'm reminded of a story he gave once where the Lord gave him a dream. And in this dream, he, for a while, he had been pursuing the things of God and he was frustrated and troubled in his spirit because he was not seeing the fruit of what the, what the Bible promises. And the Lord brought a dream to him and in this dream, you, he saw a gift laying on the ground, like a, like a Christmas present, a big old wrapped Christmas present. And along came this, this big old muscular bull and it started like making all its noises at the present. It started bucking its heels and scraping at the ground and in all its might, it couldn't open this present. And then along came an infant walking around with a pacifier in its mouth and a diaper wrapped around its, its, its legs. And it goes over and just giggles all jolly happy and opens the present and takes the gift and runs away. And then the dream stopped and he woke up. And what the Lord showed him through that is it is truly the one who is childlike in their faith and realize that it's not them, it's not them and all their might that will open the gifts of God and receive them. It is the one who comes humbly and honestly, gullibly to the Lord and trusts him in whatever he says. I want to take an opposing example of when this was not executed in the Gospels where faith was lackluster in the disciples. Matthew 17, 19 through 20, then the disciples came to Jesus privately. Now this was after they tried to cast out a demon uh, from a little girl and they weren't successful. They asked him, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a mustard seed, and it says the size of there, but I want, I'm going to come back to this because this is really significant because for so many years I was incorrectly reading this and I'm, I hope maybe y'all will see where I was incorrectly reading it and y'all maybe would learn something tonight. If you have faith like a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. What I want to bring up is that it's important to notice that in the original Greek of this verse, that terminology, the size of, does not actually exist in the original Greek, but it's instead simply a word that can be applied as the word like. The way it seems, and sure, although Jesus' analogy of the mustard seed may have some to do with the size of the mustard seed, I believe this analogy has much less to do with the size of the mustard seed and more to do with what a mustard seed becomes, which brings us to the fourth classification of the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is life-giving and selfless. Now, if you go to Matthew 13, 31 through 32, 
The reason I brought up that mustard seed thing is because we're about to get into the parable of the mustard seed. See, Jesus spoke on a mustard seed more than one time, and I think we forget that sometimes. Sometimes we can use what Jesus says about one thing in the Word of God and see where he says on another term and combine the two together and get a whole new revelation of what the Lord was trying to say. This is what it says here in Matthew 13. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is fully grown, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Now, something I want to bring up significant that I never caught, at least the first 20 times I read this, is that Jesus was actually referencing an Old Testament scripture when he said this, when he says uh, it becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Uh, God was referencing a story that came from the mouth of God through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 31. We're going to read the first portion of this, but we're going to come back to it because I have something I want to share about the story also. Ezekiel 31, 4 through 6, it says the water, it's talking about a, a, a lofty, huge tree. It says the waters made it grow, the deep made it high. With its rivers, it was going all around its planting place and sent out its conduits to all the trees of the field. Therefore, its height was loftier than all the trees of the field. And its bows came many and its branches long because of many waters as it spread them out. All the birds of the sky nested in its bows. Here it is. And under the branches all the beasts of the field gave birth. And all great nations lived under its shade. God calls us in our faith life to be like this tree to those around us. Notice that it wasn't the tree itself. Let's go back and look at it really quick. This was not the tree itself that made itself of such magnitude. What did it say? It said the waters made it grow and the deep made it high. And the deep just means the sea. I looked it up in the original Hebrew. It just means the sea. So it was the waters that made the tree grow. It was not the tree itself that made it grow. It was not the cause of the tree that all around it was being provided for by its magnitude. As I've stated, it is the water of the sea or the deep that made it high and lofty. We need to realize that our source of faith and our source of provision for others around us is not going to come from our own hand. It's going to come from the Lord. That is the living water. Jesus, you know, called himself the living water when he was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. He said, if you would drink of the water I have, you would never thirst again and it will come up within you like a springing water. What was Jesus trying to say? The water that I give you, number one, will you no longer thirst? It's going to come out from you, and you'll be able to give to others. You'll be able to nourish others and give others. This is what the Lord was trying to say. And how do we grow this faith? What, what, what is a way that we can water this mustard seed that we, we, all, and we, we all have? Well, it's found in Romans 10, 17, where... Uh, the Holy Spirit says through Paul, so faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Reading the word of God will grow our faith as we read it, comprehend it, apply it, and give it first heedance in our life. Now, when we go back, I want to I go back really quick to, to uh, earlier when we were talking about where the disciples failed to cast out the demon in Jesus' response. When you refer to the disciples' failure to cast out the demon from the individual, Jesus' response to them now has a whole new meaning. With Christ's reference to Ezekiel 31, it shows the heart of what Christ meant in his responses to the disciples. Christ was alluding to the fact that they were trusting too much in their limitations and not enough in the unlimited one who always provides to those who ask. 
For just as the mustard seed is small, we must remember that we are only a mustard seed without the living water. But if we humble ourselves and allow the living water to nourish us, our faith shall grow to great magnitude and nothing shall be impossible to us because of the hand of the Lord upon us. Which brings us to uh, something that I'd like to share, which is the latter half of Ezekiel. If you go to the book of Ezekiel, let's turn there really quick because I want people to see this because it's important that we see that just as there is hope in Ezekiel 31, there's also a clear warning in Ezekiel 31. And for the sake of time, I'm going to pull it up on my phone. (laughs) Uh, But it's Ezekiel 31. If you go there, and you go down to the part what we read where it talked about how the waters made it grow and it was a lofty tree, well, skip down to verse 7 and let's read to 10. So it was beautiful in its greatness, talking of the tree, and the length of its foliage, for its roots extended to many waters. The cedars in God's garden could not match it. The cypresses could not like themselves with its bows. And the plain trees were not like its branches. No tree in God's garden could liken itself with it in its beauty. And then God declares, I made it beautiful, beautiful with the multitude of its foliage, and all the trees of Eden, which were in the garden of God, were jealous of it. Therefore, thus says the Lord Yahweh, because it is lofty in height and has put its top among the clouds, and notice this, and its heart is high up in loftiness. Therefore, I will give it into the hand of the dominant one of the nations. What I want to point out here is that the reason that this tree ultimately failed, although it was lofty in height because of the living water that was provided for it, is because it became too puffed up in itself. And we know this to be true because when you look at that word high up, in the original Hebrew of Ezekiel there, it's a Greek word that means haughtiness. And if we know what haughtiness means, it's it's boastful arrogance and disdainfulness. Um, This tree was not, it was a personification given by the Lord. He was talking about some great individual who was not provided for themselves and forgot who was their provider. And in its loftiness and arrogance, it failed. Um, The point I'm trying to make here is that just as we can be risen up as a great tree to be used by the Lord, if we become prideful and become disdainful and haughty in ourselves, notice what it says here in the end. It says, uh, therefore I will give it into the hand. Therefore, what is he saying? He's saying, I'm going to allow it to do what it wants. It can be haughty if it wants, but I'm going to allow it to be handed into the dominant one of the nations. I believe that this is a reference to the enemy. And although this was talking about a nation that would take over another nation in this verse... If Jesus was applying it to something else in the Gospels, we can surely make sense of it here where where I'm trying to show that the dominant one would be the evil one and that when we are arrogant, we open the door for the enemy to chop us down as trees. Um, So that's the the humility part. And now I want to go to the fifth one really quick, uh, which is the kingdom of God will bring transformation and it multiplies. If you go to Matthew 13, 33, um, it says to Jesus, he spoke about Jesus, he's speaking. He spoke another parable to them. He says, the kingdom of God is like leaven, which a woman took and hidden three seta of flour, which is just a measurement of flour. It would be like us putting three cups of flour today or however much, until that entire batch of flour was leavened because of one little bit of leaven. Sorry, I mispronounced it. I'm bad about that sometimes. Um, What I want to point out in this parable about the kingdom of God is notice how in this parable, 
all the flour was leavened from one small portion of leaven. Uh, the leaven in this verse, I believe, is, is synonymous to the Spirit of God in us. We have to remind ourselves, as I stated at the beginning of the sermon, is that we have the Spirit of God in us. We are a temple of the Lord, and you should never for an instant let the devil convince you that you, you're, you're some worthless you know, piece of crap that can't be used by the Lord. While you are just a tiny little mustard seed by yourself, you must understand you're being watered by the living water and you will grow to a mighty tree. Um, so that's what the devil doesn't want you to consider. Um, and so here we go. I want to keep going on this because it's important that I share this. Uh, we must never let the enemy convince us of the lie that we are unrelatable or should be like the world in behavior to relate to the world. The leaven enters the dough and knows nothing of the dough, and the dough knows nothing of the leaven. Yet the leaven rises the dough and changes it for the better. Again, I want to reiterate, we are not the leaven, but are simply vessels that have been provided the leaven and must sow our leaven when the Lord directs us. It isn't our duty to change people, or I guess in this sense, rise the dough. We simply sow the leaven that has been given to us from above, and it is the leaven that is the spirit in us that changes the individual. Jesus makes it very clear in a parable in Matthew that not everyone will receive the call of God. The receiver must correctly respond. And the reason why I want to make this so clear is because if we get on a tangent of thinking we're, we're the one changing people, we're the one out there being the leaven, well then you're going to get really humbled really quick and really let down when... Someone does not come to the Lord and they just run in rebellion. And it's very clear here that not everyone will receive the call of God. It's up to them to choose it. It's between ultimately the spirit of God influencing the individual and that person's ability to have cognitive decision to say yes or no. But anyways, I digress. Matthew 13, 18 through 23. This is the parable of the sower with the four seeds. I'll read it for just context, but I'm sure everyone has heard this at some point in their life. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road, and on, on one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some even thirty. Um, I want to just reiterate that it was only the seed as Jesus said, that actually hears the word and understands it. Again, we're not the leaven. We are simply people with leaven that are called by God to share leaven. And this leaven, by the person's acceptance, can change them if they'll take it. These characteristics, these are the five big things you see in Matthew, at least when I study it. These characteristics show us what it embodies to carry the kingdom of God to those around us. While we are called to carry the kingdom of God, we are also called to seek the kingdom of God. We must first seek the kingdom of God, and then we can take it, the kingdom to others. 
And really quick, I want to talk about the leaven really quick, just to give an example of how the leaven in us can transform people. Uh, I'm reminded of a young man uh, named Walker. Uh, at one point in time, we were really close friends. We're still friends, um, just difference, difference in routes. Um, about a year ago, I met Walker for the first time with my community up at Virginia Tech, Chi Alpha. And uh, he showed up to our cookout with the purpose of show. he was an atheist at the time, showing us why Christianity was false and why it's, it's, it's a poor, weak religion. And um, I was introduced to Walker by another friend of mine, Josiah. And me and Walker sat out in the backyard of this house, the, that is the Chi Alpha house on campus, for hours upon hours upon hours. I, as a matter of fact, I think I, saw, I sat there with him from 8 p.m. all the way to like 1 in the morning after it was all canceled. And I just sat there and tried my best to answer all his uh, questions about the Bible. And uh, I did my best, but he still left unconvinced. But the Lord, in a moment of inspiration by the Spirit, had me speak something to him. And I was hesitant to speak it because of how bold it was, but I had to obey. The Lord told me to tell him right to his face. And I pointed at him when I said it. I said, you, the Lord wants you to know that you will one day come to know his name. You will be a devout Christian for his name and you will turn to him. And he looked at me as if I was the craziest person in the world. But I want to tell you that the spirit of God that spoke to him in that moment, the leaven eventually rised in him. And while we, I didn't see it immediately, it wasn't until he disappeared from my life for a whole four months. And it wasn't until I saw him at one of our church services one night that we host in Chi Alpha where he showed up for no reason and just said he felt like he should give it another shot. And a sermon was preached, and, he had, and that night, while I was sitting beside him, I felt the Lord tell me before he even did it. I said, he, the Lord spoke to me. He said, today is the day of salvation, as the word says. And I knew that that would be the night he gave his life to God, and he did. At the end of the, altar, at the, end of the sermon, he uh, went to the altar, fell on his face, and cried and gave his life to Christ. And he came back and hugged me with tears in his eyes. And he said, thank you. you. You will never know how much this means to me. I don't take any credit for that. I just want to share with you guys that we are all greater than what we think. Though you may look at yourself as a pawn, the Lord calls you an heir of his sonship. And I just want to encourage everyone that you, you can share the word and you don't have to be worried about what the person thinks. Because, look, I could have, in that moment, gotten discouraged when he just snickered at me when I first met him, right? But I just gave it to the Lord and obeyed the Lord, and sure enough, in the mean of time, it wasn't me that changed him. It was the leaven of God that was planted in him in that moment that raised him up and changed him for the good. And now, now he's transformed, like the kingdom of God does. He's a completely different person. He's not the same person. This is what the kingdom of God does. It transforms. But anyways... Now we're to seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Um, I want you to notice the words of Jesus in Matthew. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Again, in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened or what is, there among, what is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will not give him a snake? Will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? 
what we see here is that Matthew, in, in Jesus, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When he says that, we see that Jesus inevitably says that to seek the kingdom of God is to first seek the righteousness of God. And now we're back to the righteousness like I promised at the beginning of the sermon. That is to receive Christ's atonement in faith and repent from all evil. Jesus even tells us plainly that when we can ask, we can ask God and it will be given to us. We can ask him for anything and it will be given to us. Uh, ask God for more of the kingdom and he will give it to you. I'm convinced of this. I can't promise you when. I can't promise you how. I can't promise you where. I can't promise you what. But if you ask the Lord and believe you have received, he will give you more of the kingdom. To reiterate, notice again elsewhere that Jesus tells his disciples the same thing in Mark eleven twenty four. For this reason I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. Now real quick, I want to tell a quick story about how this verse has power. And I haven't shared this with many, but I would like to share it with you all tonight because it's applicable. Um, as you know, Liz and I, my fiancé, were engaged. And uh, if it weren't for the hand of God, it, the ring on her finger right now would not be existent. Um, or at least it wouldn't be on her finger. Uh, I applied Mark eleven twenty four in prayer once. I simply asked God to pr help me provide for an engagement ring. This was two years ago. I think a little over two years ago. I asked, I believed that I had received it, and then I believed that I gave it to God so much. I believed that I'd received it, I kid you not, I literally forgot I said the prayer. And a week goes by, and I had completely forgot I said this prayer. And I just, really, I want you to hear this, because this, this, is, this is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the word of God, it does not lie, it will always work when it is applied correctly and applied with the right heart. A week later, I get a call from her father, and he calls me and says that my great aunt has passed away. Pretty gloomy news, but he ends it with the good news that at the conclusion of her life, he was given permission to go into her safe, and he found a 3.32 carat diamond ring that he'd like to give to me absolutely free. Long story short, I was able to take this ring and get it exchanged at a jeweler for a ring that is of high value on her finger now with everything she ever wanted on it. And this all simply came from asking the Lord and believing I had received it. I didn't pay a single dime for that ring. And again, let's go back to Matthew 7 where he says, how much more will the Father give you good gifts to those who ask? I think too many times we try to do things in our life on our own terms. If we try to make ourselves the kingdom of God, if we try to make ourselves the leaven, it'll never work. We'll try to grasp things with our own might. We'll continue to fail. We'll try to provide through others, through our own loftiness and haughtiness and arrogance because we think we're so special and so good, and we'll fail. But the word is tried and true that when you apply the word and you humbly come to it and you follow the Lord instead of yourself, it always works. Uh, the other great news about this, um, when you ask, is that although we are imperfect, God, God is perfect. And when we fall short, as stated in 1 John, we can confess our sins unto the Lord and embrace his forgiveness. Uh, 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of all sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I, and I know my dad had shared that last week, but I wanted to reiterate something really special about 1 John, that continually through 1 John, you see the word beloved. 
1 John was written to people who were already believers. So when, when the writer of John says this, he's not saying, oh, your first time to ever come to the Lord, you must repent of all sins. No, he's talking about people who have given their life to Christ and they keep slipping up and they keep failing. They keep slipping up and they keep failing. This is the application that we are to use when we come to God and ask for forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9. The other thing is, this, and this is how we're seeking the Lord, we must come to righteousness. In other words, we ask him for more, as I've stated in Mark eleven twenty four. And then we come to him and we, we, we just plead to him and we, we confess our unrighteousness to him and then he cleanses us of that unrighteousness. But once we have done this, we must begin to actively seek or pursue righteousness in all circumstances. That is what Jesus was trying to say in Matthew 16 when he says the following. Matthew 16, 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. To pursue the kingdom of God, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. To seek the kingdom of God is to seek God's righteousness because the, the Lord himself, Jesus, connects it with the word and. And if you're familiar with the writing in the New Testament and how the Greeks used the word and, they used it to connect things in similarity oftentimes. Jesus was undoubtedly saying that to seek the kingdom of God is to seek God's righteousness. And to seek God's righteousness, as Jesus says in Matthew 16, we have to pick up our cross and deny ourselves. We must deny our flesh and deny unrighteousness to come after or seek the kingdom. We come to the kingdom by first coming to repentance. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. And then... Yeah, we come to the kingdom by first coming to repentance and asking for forgiveness, becoming a child of God. But then we seek the kingdom and find it further by pursuing God and his righteousness, by denying the world and denying our flesh, by clinging to the Lord and trusting him alone through circumstances. And I'm going to close here, if you want to come back up. Um, here's the challenge for tonight. I know we kind of swam and just kind of scurried all over Matthew. My hope tonight was to give you inspiration of what it looks like to carry the kingdom of God wherever you go. But it's become very clear to me that we can't even carry the kingdom of God if we aren't first seeking the kingdom of God. Jesus said, ask and you'll find. Seek and you shall, be, you shall find, right? Well, are we ever going to find it if we're not seeking? No, the answer is no. We must first seek to, to find the kingdom of God. Uh, this is the challenge for tonight. Yeah, uh, today is Valentine's Day, and while nothing in my sermon had anything to do with Valentine's Day, I wanted to do this because I think it's important. My question to you is, really, I honestly ask yourself, I mean, you, who knows? It's my belief that everyone in here loves the Lord, but I'd like to challenge you that are we actively seeking our first love? Are we, or are we just roaming through life? I mean, really, are we just going through the punches every single day? Or are we living with the God-called purpose on our life? Are we living with the purpose of seeking the kingdom and there, then, for, there, then after that carrying the kingdom in spite of what people think of us? Are we seeking first the kingdom and God's righteousness or are we just seeking first ourselves? Are we living according to our corporate calling from God? We will never receive the fullness of the kingdom if we are not pursuing after it. Let me remind you, 1 John 2.16 says, for all that is in the world, 
that is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Are we seeking the comfort of the flesh and hindering the movement of God through us? Are we seeking what the world has to offer in our own desires before what the Lord has for us? Are we seeking personal gain and recognition instead of seeking for the gain for the kingdom and giving God the glory? If any of those are yes, there's forgiveness. And I want to encourage you that you must give up all these things before we can carry the kingdom. So what I want to do is, I'm not going to pray over anybody. That's not what I had on my heart. Um, I'm, I'm just going to, if anyone feels that they could improve their pursuit of the Lord, if anyone feels maybe they've, they've begun to go through the motions, and, and, and I'll be honest with you guys, I, I've been through this in my life. If you're there, I'm, you're not alone. I, I understand. I've been there in my life. There have been times in my life where I've taken for granted um, that I was raised in a great family with the pastor and I just kind of did my own thing and didn't live perfect. Um, but I just want to remind you guys that we, we have a calling. You are a temple of the Lord. You have a purpose in life. You, God has something special for you, but it's up to you to seek what he has for you. And then once you've received it, carry it to others as the mobile temple that you now are. So the altar call for tonight is simply this. If you want to seek the kingdom more, but you're struggling with seeking else first, the encouragement is just to come to the altar night and give it to the Lord and leave it there and let it be done with. Again, let me reiterate, first our opening text, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. Do you not know that you are the inner part of the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man defiles the sanctuary of God, God will destroy him for the sanctuary of God is holy and that is what you are. Friends, if there's areas of your life where you're struggling to seek that are causing you to not seek God first, tonight's your invitation to start for the rest of eternity to seek the Lord first. Tonight's your invita invitation to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, to give up ways of life that aren't of the Lord, and to follow Him all the days of your life. Now, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm very convinced all of us here are followers of Christ. I just want to remind us of what it looks like to follow Christ and to seek Christ. And so with that, um, I can pray us out. And if you feel like you just need to come to the altar for that, so be it. Come right up. That's okay. No one's going to judge you. Um, but let me just pray us out and we'll, we'll respond with that. And maybe we can just worship for like five minutes. Yeah. So Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for the word that you spoke to people tonight. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't hear me, but they would hear you. Lord, I don't want them to hear me I, because I'm nothing without you. Let them only hear you tonight, Father. Let, let, let your voice speak to their heart and move them to respond where they need to respond. Lord, I pray that you helped me tonight to get through this, even through times of tightness with school. And I just pray, Father, that... Um, yeah, for just how good you are and how much of a peaceful God you are and how you bring joy and righteousness to us all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can stand if you want. We seek you first.
just thank you for tonight. Thank you for using Zach. What a blessing he is, Lord. What a beautiful thing to see what you've done in his life. What an inspiration. And Father, I pray that each one of us would leave here tonight with a renewed sense of purpose to seek you. And I just want to thank you for the words you spoke, Lord, to just remind us that we're not insignificant, but you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us. Man. Father, we just want to take a moment. I do not want to rush out.
Father, I pray you'd be with every person here tonight. I pray that your word would grow, that it was planted, Lord, but that it wouldn't just fall to the wayside, but that it would grow in us throughout the rest of the week. You'll remind us, Holy Spirit, of it and water it from the deep. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for that. Be with each person. I pray that your angels are around each person here, protecting them, leading them. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us. Give us the courage to speak like was ministered to us tonight. And just have your way in our lives, Lord. We yield ourselves to you. And we stop, Lord, and we repent if we haven't to turn around and pursue you. And to take this temple to a world that is dying to know you. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed. Thanks for listening to our Grace Family Church podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this message. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, we would love for you to get connected. Just go to gfcva.info to learn more about who we are, how to give to this ministry, or how you can get involved. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.